Welcome to the Cosmosis Podcast. This is Justin Moses, and you're listening to episode number 23. Today's episode is brought to you by Low Vintage Instrument Company, located in beautiful downtown Burlington, North Carolina. They have high-quality instruments and accessories. Uh, I visited there myself a couple of months ago and uh, played some cool pre-war banjos, and they have great vintage Martin guitars and just all kinds of stuff. So find your timeless tone today at lowvintage.com. That's L-O-W-E vintage.com. Or call them at area code 336-524-6250. Like their page on Facebook. Follow them on Instagram and Twitter. Let them know you appreciate their sponsorship of this show. And I'd like to say a big thanks myself to uh, Low Vintage for sponsoring this show and bringing it to you every two weeks for absolutely free. Makes that possible. And uh, so I'll say it again. Visit them at lowvintage.com. That's L-O-W-E vintage.com. Today's guest is Tim Shelton. This will be his second appearance and we'll dive into to his new podcast and all his adventures going on. But before we get to that... I'll tell you a little bit about what's been going on with me the last couple of weeks. A week from last Saturday, I played at the Huck Finn Jubilee in uh, Ontario, California with the Dan Tominski Band. And that's the first show we've played together in six years or so. And uh, man, was that a lot of fun. Those guys are some of the best to play with and, uh, and just to hang out with, too. So that was an incredible time. There was a lot of great music at that festival and, uh, again, a lot of friends. Uh, it was just fun to hang out there. I was there all day on Saturday, pretty much. Got to see a lot of other bands perform, and um, just a, just a great time. And the same applies to uh, the, the next week, which was this past week. I played in Telluride, Colorado, at the Telluride Bluegrass Festival. And uh, again, phenomenal lineup of uh, artists. And uh, just had a great time. What a beautiful place Telluride is. It was just great to be there. I was there from Wednesday to Monday. Flew back home on a Monday. And this episode uh, is being recorded on Tuesday. By the way, yeah, today's Tuesday, June the 21st. Got a few uh, potential guests. Uh, from playing those festivals, but I'm not going to say anything too much about them yet. I am going to talk about upcoming dates that I'll be playing with Sierra in the next couple of weeks. Starting with June 29th, I'll be in uh, Fish Creek, Wisconsin at the Door Community Auditorium. Then on July the 2nd and 3rd, I will be in Quincy, California at the High Sierra Music Festival. We've played that one before. It's a really great festival. And uh, look forward to going back to it. July the 4th, we'll be at the Long Meadow Ranch in St. Helena, California. July the 6th, we'll be at Duke Gardens in Durham, North Carolina. We'll be in Floyd, Virginia at the Floyd Country Store on July the 7th. July the 8th, we'll be at Red Wing Roots Festival. That's in Mount Salon, Virginia. Salon. Salon, not sure how you say it. And July the 9th, we'll be at the Frankfurt Bluegrass Festival in Frankfurt, Illinois. So if you're at any of those 
um, locations or if you're near those locations come out and see us we appreciate it and uh, look forward to, to seeing you there other than that I'll get a couple plugs in and then we'll get right into the interview so uh, you can visit me at my website justinmoses.com www.justinmoses.com for the uh, all the tour dates not just those in the next couple of weeks but uh, all the ones coming up this year and uh, visit me on Facebook that's facebook.com slash justinmosesmusic you can follow me at justinmoses2 on Twitter I have a YouTube page and you can uh, you can do a search for me there and as always, I mention this on every show because it's very important, but iTunes, I would encourage you. No, I appreciate you listening to this show on any format that you listen to it on, but uh, if you could consider also subscribing at iTunes, that would also help me out a lot. And I really appreciate that. It just gets, uh, gets us higher in the rankings and lets more people be able to see it. helps the podcast grow. So subscribe at iTunes. It's totally free. And if you would take a few little few seconds to to leave a review and uh, rate the show, I'd really appreciate it. Now we'll go ahead and get into the interview with Tim Shelton. So thanks a lot, Tim, for for being on again. Well, thanks for having me on, Justin. How have things been going? Uh, good, busy, uh, busy with my podcast. Busy. Uh, just got in from a show this past weekend up in Michigan. Uh, I work a lot, so uh, and then all the family stuff on uh, Father's Day weekend kept me hopping. Uh, so yeah, busy but good. That's that's a good thing most of the time. Well, I was definitely going to ask you about all of that. So uh, let me just ask you right out of the gate then about uh, about balancing your time. So we'll we'll talk in depth uh, more about your podcast in a bit. But sure. Um, so you you have a day job and you, you you travel out and play music. How do you how do you keep all that stuff balanced? Uh, well, it's getting tougher. Yeah. Um, because there there literally is only so much time of the day. You know, during waking hours. You know, I, I'll give you an example. My day on Friday looked like this. I got up at five fifteen a.m. Uh, got up, got some coffee. Generally, I try to just ease into the morning. I, I just kind of sit and, and I won't say meditate, but I sit in silence and I don't, I don't even turn on a light. There's a little, uh, dim light that we keep on at night, but as my coffee's brewing, I just kind of sit there and I just kind of, just kind of relax. And so I did, I got up at five 15. Uh, once I got going, I sat there for about 10 minutes. Usually that's how I start my day. I try not to uh, and lately I've been trying not to get on my phone right off the bat. Um, mm -hmm. because I think, I just think that's a bad habit when you, when you have stuff to do, I think you can get into real distractions by email and messages and, and social media, uh, right away if you start your day off that way. So lately I've been trying to just kind of just chill out and relax, have some quiet time to myself in the mornings, get my coffee going. And then, uh, it was, I had to meet 
Jr., who ended up going on the road with me, uh, Rob Baker had been playing some shows with me, and Rob's got a day job as well. He's in the medical profession. He's a nurse, and his his uh, his job changed recently, so I had to scramble around, find somebody last minute. His hours changed recently. Uh, so I had to scramble, find somebody last minute. Junior Williams was available. Uh, of course, Junior was in Newfound Road with me. We left at 715, uh, headed up to Michigan, Got up there about 11.15 or so and played our first set at 1.40. So my day was full, you know, the entire day. We had two sets that afternoon at the festival. So while I'm there, um, you know, I'm looking ahead at dates that that are potentially going to happen and dates that I've got booked and I'm doing little things with the podcast while I'm there, you know, as far as thinking about marketing ideas and, and in between sets. And, and then I'm also working on the show with junior because we didn't have time to rehearse or warm up or anything. So we were jamming, we were playing and, and trying to loosen up a bit and warm up and, and all that stuff. So, uh, that's just a day. And, and we played two sets up in Michigan, drove home. I got home about two 30. So I was up from five fifteen AM to two thirty AM. Uh, that was my Friday. That's a long day. Got up the next day at about uh, seven something because you know we've got a two year old and he uh, he's not one to sleep in <laughs> so right. neither is neither's daddy so yeah. but it's hard to balance everything and it's getting more difficult um, because you're right I do work a day job and it's a nine to five job so uh, typically I try to balance it by uh, I record. I'm trying to do two to three a week on the podcasts. So I usually record one on Sunday and I'll try to record again on Monday night and Tuesday night and sometimes Wednesday night, depending on my schedule. Like this week, I'll probably do um, Wednesday night and maybe again on Thursday evening if if need be. Um, so there's that. I, I generally... Uh, so, you know, nine to five is pretty much sewn up, except on Mondays. I don't go in until later because I've got so much other stuff going on. I, I literally had to take time off of my nine to five job to work on these other projects because, I mean, these other projects just aren't hobbies. You know, they're they're sources of income. Right. right. And I I enjoy these sources of income much more than my nine to five job, uh, because it's just who I am. I mean, I love music. It's part of who I am. You understand that you get that it's part of who you are. So that's what you do. Um, music is that way for me. And so is the podcast. I love it. I mean, it's a close second, if not neck and neck with music at this point in my life. I love it. So I don't just kind of like goof around with something when I do it. I, I generally get pretty involved and I don't try, I try not to waste a lot of time with that. So, uh, I take it very serious when I'm doing the podcast, I'll generally spend a while, uh, writing out what I want to talk about, write out some bullets. And I never read a script or anything like that when I'm doing my show, they're pretty laid back. You've been on, you know, it's generally it's, it's more conversational than anything. I don't have a bunch of questions written out or anything like that. I have bullets to help me remember because I'm too dumb to remember everything (laughs) I want to (laughs) say, but, uh, I've got way too much going on in my head to be able to remember all the stuff I need to. So I have to write out bullets, but so I do that. And then, um, you know, I work with my, I've got a a sponsor and I, I deal, I work with 
them pretty closely on on copy and and things they want to to get across with their company because the the buck stove company they have several different arms and divisions within their company and then it changes throughout the year so i work pretty close with them on those kind of things and now uh the music these these shows that i'm doing now are things that i've had booked you know going back months so and i still get income incoming calls and emails and and messages from promoters i've worked with in the past wanting to know you know if i'm available these certain days so i do the booking side of things too for myself so it, it, that's just whenever I can. Uh, generally, I work on some of that stuff on Monday mornings, but here lately, the Monday morning stuff has been pretty much geared towards uh, the podcast. Yeah. So then, but now uh, I've I've really wanted to get back more into music and pay closer attention to what's going on with that and really grow that. And I've got a side project coming up you know, Rob's schedule changed and he's just not able to get away on weekends anymore. He's working weekends. So, um, you know, I got to thinking like, I know there are musicians out there that, that I've worked with, that I enjoy being around, enjoy making music with and enjoy working with musically speaking and, uh, that aren't halfway across the country. So I call Clay Hess. Mm -hmm. Clay is about, I don't know, hour and a half, two hours from me, something like that. So he's not too, it's not too hateful of a trip to get together and rehearse or talk music or work on a show or anything like that. So we've, we've actually recorded a record together. Um, about a year or two ago, I made a, a gift for just family. It, it hasn't seen the light of day. I recorded this little gospel EP and recorded it with Clay and he and I sang all the stuff together and you know, it just, it was a good blend and it was easy. And, uh, so we're going to do duet shows and, and just the two of us go out and play some music and we're going to be at IBMA and, and, and see what we can drum up. Uh, there's been some interest, you know, already we've got two or three things lined up this year, you know, that we're playing or it's already booked and confirmed. So it's already gotten a little more traction than I expected it to. Uh, yeah at this point. So without really trying. So, uh, thankfully. <laughs> oh yeah. That's great. Yeah. So it, it's, it gets tough balancing it all, but you know, then I've got a family, you know? So like when I got home from work today, immediately spent some time with my boy, my youngest, uh, my oldest lives with his mom and he's here two or three days a week. Um, you know, so Thursday and Friday, I try to leave that open for family and on weekends, except on Sundays, uh, Sunday afternoon or evening, I'll record a podcast. Uh, but Thursday, I, I try to leave Thursday through Saturday into Sunday open for family stuff if I'm not on the road. Yeah. Well, let's talk about the podcast a little bit more in depth. Uh, it's called The Tim Shelton Show. and App, uh, The aptly named. The aptly named, exactly. And... Uh, on this show, on, on my show, I usually it's it's mostly about music stuff, you know, and, yeah. and, and may get on the fringes of other topics. But uh, your show, you I feel like you've tr intentionally tried to make it about more than just that. So uh, let's talk about that for a moment. Yeah, you know, I'm I'm interested in a lot of things. Um, I love music, obviously, it's a huge part of my life. But I'm into other things that that aren't quite as 
I'm not as involved with, but things I love, you know, I'm passionate about, uh, MMA. I love it. Uh, so I talk about that a lot because it interests me. It fascinates me. It gets me excited to talk about it. You know, I get fired up just talking to my wife. She's just like, listen at you. I'll be, I'll be, I'll, <laughs> I'll, I'll be talking about these fighters, you know, I'll bring up this conversation and she, she can appreciate the sport and the art of it. Yeah. Uh, and the, the, the athleticism and the skill level that has to be obtained to do that stuff. I'm not, I can't do that kind of thing, but I love it. It's my favorite sport by far. So I talk about that and, and just, you know, I talk about my life, my personal day, you know, like certain things may happen and it may be good or bad. And I talk about it. So it's, uh, it's not just music, but you know, I certainly talk music. You know, I've had yeah. you on the show. I've had Tim right. Stafford on the show. Uh, Barry Bales is coming on next week. Uh, I'm also into working out and fitness and trying to be healthy, and I want to incorporate more of that. And I, we haven't nailed down a date yet, but I've got a guy coming on that's just this gigantic, in every way, <laughs> uh, guy in in the fitness, and he's also uh, really well known in the bow hunting world. Um, he's an interesting guy and he's, he's got a really, uh, I think he's got a really good story to tell and I want to get him on the show and he's agreed to come on. He's just really tied up and it's hard to nail him down on a date. So uh, I won't mention who it is just yet cause I, we haven't confirmed anything, but he's agreed to come on the show, but Bales, uh, is definitely going to be on the show, uh, next week. Yeah. That's so sign. yeah, I talk about everything I'm interested in or try to, and I want to do more of that. Eventually I'd like to have some some MMA guys, uh, come on and talk. And I, I just had Joe Boer on the show and Joe is, is involved in martial arts. He's, uh, he's actually, uh, he j just got his black belt in Taekwondo. Um, and he's about to get his purple belt. I think in jujitsu, he's a blue belt right now, which is fairly early on in the belt progression. Uh, but at a blue belt level, you're pretty, you know, some stuff. And Joe mm -hmm. definitely knows some stuff. I mean, I went and rolled with him, which is the term people use when you grapple with somebody that's in jujitsu. Right. Uh, that's what, that's the term. And I rolled with him and I don't know anything about jujitsu. And I, I, you know, I went in it humble and <laughs> accepting the fact that he's probably going to mop the mat with me. And he did. <laughs> I, I felt, I felt completely helpless. And Joe is... <laughs> Look, Joe has had this crazy—we we called him Crazy Joe for years, but he's had this crazy genetic strength. This is a guy that never really lifts weights. He never has, and he's just incredibly strong. So, you know, he's also not just strong, but he's very gifted in the art of jiu-jitsu. So I felt like I was— drowning as he put it. And it's true. <laughs> I did. I felt like I was just helpless and I'm not a small guy and I'm a fairly athletic guy. I don't consider myself a tough guy, but, uh, yeah, it was, it was not embarrassing because I knew what it was going to be, but I didn't know to the extent of how helpless I would feel. And there were no kicks, no punches, nothing like that. It's, it's pure grappling and it's a Brazilian, uh, style jujitsu that came from Japan originally. But here I go again, getting all fired up talking about martial arts, but, um, so Joe's into that world now. So I had Joe on and we talked as much martial arts as we did music and mandolin. Yeah. Let's, well, let's stay on that theme for a second. You know, I'm going to ask you an MMA question actually. Okay. All right. Yeah. Yeah. So what, what, what are your thoughts on Brock Lesnar? Uh, you know, the, the fight he's got coming up at uh, UFC 200. 
Well, I think it's awesome. I think it's great. I think the UFC is very smart in getting him on board for this uh, pay-per-view because initially they had Conor McGregor and Nate Diaz 2 lined up for this pay-per-view. And right now, as it stands, this is the best lineup barring any injuries going into this, which people get hurt all the time and knocked out of their pay-per-views constantly because these guys train hard and it's such a difficult uh, skill set to earn and to develop and training can be brutal. So right now, as it stands, if nothing changes, and even if a fight falls through the cracks right now, it's going to be their biggest event they've ever had. And that's saying something. So Brock is their biggest. He sold more pay-per-views for the UFC than any other fighter. I mean, more pay-per-views than Ronda, more pay-per-views than Connor, more pay-per-views than George St. Pierre. These are all the biggest stars the UFC has had ever. Mm -hmm. And Brock has sold more pay-per-views than any of them. So it's very wise on their part to bring back their biggest pay-per-view draw on a card that was kind of falling apart because their biggest star, Conor McGregor, pulled out. Yeah. So now Brock's on board. Brock's fighting a guy, though. I don't know how much you know about Mark Hunt, his opponent, but this guy is a freaking knockout artist. He doesn't wrestle, so Brock's got the advantage on the ground if he can get him down. But Mark Hunt has some serious takedown defense, and good luck. <laughs> good, good luck to Brock getting him on the ground. But, man, you know, who knows? I mean, Brock's a tough guy, but he also hasn't fought in the UFC since, I think, 2006. Yeah, it's been a while. Or two thousand or two thousand eleven, I think it is. I'm I'm wrong there. I said two thousand six. It's two thousand eleven. Right. So it's been he's gonna have some rust. He's gonna have some some octagon rust. And you know, this isn't WWE where you can <laughs> you can kind of work with the guy and if you've got ring rust, they'll work with you and try their best to make you look good. It ain't gonna go down like that now. He's if he struggles, he's going to get knocked out because this guy I've watched the last fight. This guy had, for example, Mark hunt. He's just this giant Samoan. He's got these giant tree trunks for calves and legs. And, you know, he looks soft and flabby, but man, he can punch. He is a knockout artist. He walked, he was walking away from his last opponent, who was another heavyweight a guy named Frank Mir, who's been in UFC for a long, long time. And is a legit, uh, high level jujitsu guy, great striker, big brute. He was walking away and knocked him out. Yeah. That's how powerful of a striker that Mark Hunt is. So I think, I think it's great. I think it's great for the pay-per-view. Yeah. Uh, I think it's going to be a great, I think it's going to be fun to watch and fun to see what happens, but I have a feeling that Brock could get knocked out. I'm just saying. <laughs> <laughs> but look, anything can happen, and Brock is a freak athlete. He right, is a right. freak athlete. He is a giant man. He's got this fire hydrant head. He has got this horse neck. He is just a freak of nature. He's incredibly fast. He's huge. But now he's what, 36 or 37, maybe 38 now? Yeah, he's so, edging, edging 40, yeah. Yeah, so things change, you know, and he hasn't fought in a while. And the last time he fought, he had just come off of a pretty devastating illness. So, was it uh, uh, tuberculosis or did no, I it was die? 
Diverticulitis. Diverticulitis. I just he, couldn't say it right. Yeah. yeah, he had to have a chunk of his stomach and his colon removed or his intestine taken out. I mean, he 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 damn near died. And he came back probably too soon to fight. And, of course, the guy he was fighting was a just a world-class striker and kickboxer and a giant, by the way. I mean, he was he, he was he's just as big. Uh, maybe bigger than Brock at the time, um, Alistair over him, and he kicked him in the gut and yeah. dropped him. Um, but this guy he's fighting is uh, is no slouch. I don't know. I mean, look, you never know what's going to happen, and that's why I love the sport because it's it's not predictable. You don't know what's going to happen. It's kind of like that movie, that football movie, any given Sunday. You don't know what's going to happen uh, ever, and 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 you know. It's it's I'm excited about it. I think it's going to be great. Well, uh, and I think it's great for this. I think it's great for the UFC in this pay per view. Yeah, I, I don't really follow MMA that closely. And for the people that don't, though, let's give them a little bit of like background on who Brock Lesnar is. He was a uh, a wrestler in uh, high school and in college, and like did super well at that. And, yes. Uh, and so he was like a state champion of Minnesota, right? Uh, yeah, Brock was a, a high level, uh, collegiate wrestler as well. And, uh, a, a legit wrestler, you know, and right. that's his background. He went to the university of Minnesota and his amateur record is just ridiculous. Um, and I, anybody that's interested, they should Google his stats for the combine that he did, he 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 tried out for the NFL. His stats are nuts. <laughs> uh, how fast he is and how long he can jump. It's just crazy. Um, he he was a defensive tackle for the Vikings. I mean, this guy, you know, this is a guy that that was a great champion collegiate wrestler. Then went into the WWE or WWF at the time, whatever it was. And worked and became a giant star for them. Yeah, became a ch- champion there. Yeah, left, went to the NFL, and then decided to get into MMA. And his first fight, I watched it, and he devastated this uh, Korean guy, I believe it was. And that was in L.A. You can Google it. It's all over YouTube. Yeah. And then after that fight... I mean, it's amazing. You'll see how fast he is in that fight, especially because he just dominates that guy. And then he went to the UFC and he lost his first fight against Frank Mir, who I was just talking about that uh, uh, his opponent, Mark Hunt, knocked out uh, a while back. But then he lost that fight, and which, which look, the, the first fight, he, he had Frank Mir in trouble. And this goofy ref who had he he's made some real sketchy calls in other fights but this ref stopped the fight because he claimed that Brock was striking Frank Mir in the back of the head which he he didn't appear to be and it wasn't something that you would normally stop a fight but he did this with Brock and Brock at that point Brock had Frank Mir in some serious trouble and then uh Frank who is again a world class jiu-jitsu practitioner got Brock in a leg lock and tapped him out but then Following that fight, he fought a guy named Heath Herring, who was, a, who was no slouch. He was another heavyweight who walked around at about 250. Brock punched him so hard, this guy fell back and flipped over. Brock shattered his orbital bone. He punched him so hard. Yeah. 
he broke his head basically <laughs> with one punch. I mean, Brock has these gigantic hands. You know, these UFC fighters, they wear these gloves where their fingers, the end of their fingers are are out, you know, but their their, their knuckles are covered in, in these gloves. And Brock had to have his specially made. He's so big, he wears a 4X, which is the biggest, at the time, the biggest glove that they made. And then Brock went on to win the UFC heavyweight fight. Um, and then he lost to a guy named Cain Velasquez, who is just a beast, another collegiate athlete. And uh-huh. uh, So Brock is no slouch. I mean, he is just this uh, gigantic, Beast, uh, who is just this freak athlete and won, I don't know how many, his record in college was just nuts. Um, yeah, he was a, he was a heavyweight champion in the NCAA in division one and he was an all American as well. And he also won the big 10 championship in, in sometime around 2000. So, I mean, he, he's just, he's just a freak. He's just this freak athlete and they don't make guys like that anymore. You know, he's six, three, six, four. And when he first came into the UFC, he had to cut weight to make heavyweight. That's yeah. how he, that's how big he was. He walked around at 285. So during the fight, which he had to cut weight during the weigh-ins to make 265, but he would blow back up for the fight, you know, and he was yeah. back back up to 280 or 285 so he's just this giant guy and people wonder what maybe he could have done had he not had the illness in the ufc and then once he did uh kind of uh, have to quit uh fighting fighting he went back to wwe and he's been wrestling just kind of occasionally he's had a you know been able to to have a light schedule but yeah. he, he he wrestles like every few months or whatever and it's obviously okay. like a you know um, wrestling is like you said, it's uh, you're working with the other person, not against them. So yeah, it's like a dance. Yeah. You know, you're working with a partner who you're choreographing this fight with and, and yeah, they, these guys get beat up and hurt. They work constantly. They're, they're tough guys too, but it's a different thing. You don't have right. somebody intentionally trying to hurt you. You don't have to have a skill <laughs> to That's... keep from getting killed. And, but he is a legit tough guy. He is probably the baddest guy that's ever been in the in the pro wrestling business for sure. A hundred percent. I mean, Kurt Angle was an Olympic athlete as well. And there's some definitely tough guys like Bobby Lashley who never really has caught on in, in the MMA world, but, uh, he can fight for yeah. sure. Yeah. And, uh, if Kurt Angle hadn't have messed up his neck, it would have been interesting to see what he could have done in, in MMA. But here's the other thing. Um, not only it would it would it would have been interesting to see how far he would. I mean, he he won the belt. He was a heavyweight champion of the world, you know. Right. And but so there's that. But I think he could have done much better had he gone to a great camp. He which he didn't. He never went to a great camp. There's several great, really great camps in the UFC. There's one out, uh, Greg Jackson and Winkle John out in New Mexico, that they produce world class fighters. Uh, there's another one in Arizona where Cain Velasquez and, and Daniel Cormier and Luke Rockhold all train. Uh, there's, there's several, there's uh, team alpha male up in Sacramento. They produce some great, great fighters. And then there's one in Florida. There's just several that, it, and then there was a guy up in, uh, where CM Punk has actually been training, I guess, uh, <laughs> up in, 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 uh, in, uh, Milwaukee, a guy named Duke Rufus runs that gym. So there are several gyms where Brock probably should have gone and really worked on jujitsu and striking. And he didn't really do it. He came out of 
just some MMA gym up where he lived. And, you know, he already had a skill set. He was a world-class wrestler, right? And he was yeah. also this giant freak of nature athlete. So he had a leg up on a, on a lot of people. Um, but he did get hurt several times. I mean, I, I saw it. You know, he fought Shane Carwin, and that was a close fight. Shane Carwin was as big as Brock, but just kind of gassed out. They both beat the hell out of each other, and Shane just ran out of gas, and Brock ended up winning. Um, but, yeah, he's, he's legit, man. He's just... He's this freak athlete, and and he's even been working on jujitsu this time. Apparently, he just got his blue belt, which, you know, again, he's going to be a guy that's he's fighting a guy that's not known for his grappling, but he's known for his knockout and leg kicks, and he's just brutal. He's devastating, and and all the other fighters say Brock doesn't like to get hit. So right, right, it'll be interesting. It'll yeah, be, yeah, it'll definitely be interesting. When when is UFC two hundred? It is in July. I want to say it's uh, July the 9th or the 10th. Um, yeah. Going off the top of my head there, but yeah, uh, so it's coming up pretty soon. It is. It'll be soon. And uh, the other big main event on there is John Jones and Daniel Cormier two. Yeah, but there's that that whole card is just stacked. It it it, it absolutely is the biggest card they've ever had so i'm excited as you can tell <laughs> <laughs> yeah so i've got another question about just yeah. uh grappling in general so mm -hmm. me and you both uh have watched uh our fair share of professional wrestling i take it but uh yep yep um so tell me my, my question is what was the first professional wrestling you remember seeing what kind of hooked you into it hmm man that's tough because i can't remember I watched equally, uh, I mean, a tradition, I'm just going to ramble here. Early on, I watched uh, every Saturday night at 6.05 on TBS, uh, Georgia Championship Wrestling came on. And that was the precursor to the WCW stuff. Right. Um, that was, you know, even going back before Ted Turner owned it, it just happened to be on his channel, his network. Right. But then... On Monday nights or Tuesday nights, WWF ran out of Madison Square Garden and had wrestling on. And I remember watching Andre and and uh, Pedro Morales and Don Morocco and Jimmy Snuka in that cage match where Jimmy Snuka dives off the top of the cage and lands on that. And Bob Backlund, I remember watching him as a kid. This is all before Hulk Hogan was a gigantic star. Yeah. Uh, and the Georgia wrestling when i first started watching it you had rick flair and every now and then they would let andre come in and he would wrestle on there so and and that show was recorded in a little studio little te television studio so andre just looked like a which he was a legit giant but he looked even bigger because he was in this little bitty studio and it wasn't madison square garden so to see him in that environment it just made him that much bigger as a kid watching it um but that's what probably those are the first. I don't know which came first, honestly. If it was the the Saturday night, you know, Georgia Championship Wrestling, and later on became just Championship Wrestling. Um, every Saturday at six oh five, man, I was there. I, I would go to my grandma's, and my uncle and I would watch it together. And and then same thing with the the WWF. Uh, it would be on either Monday or Tuesday. I can't remember. And then there were they had a show called Tuesday Night Titans, and this is all before raw was ever conceived yeah 
uh, Vince would host this show and it was kind of set up like a late night show, like a Johnny Carson, you know, it was kind of set up like that and Vince would host it and, and Lord Alfred Hayes would sit there and be his sidekick, like his Ed McMahon, you know, and, and they would have wrestlers come in and, and back then wrestlers were really big cartoon characters. I mean, you had George, the animal steel, who was this crazy, hairy, bald guy who didn't speak. He just kind of grunted and made noises and stuck his tongue out and it was green then you had the wild Samoans, who were actually the Rock's uncles or cousins. Uh, they would be on there eating chickens. I mean, raw, <laughs> like raw chickens. I mean, there's just this crazy cast of character. It was so much different than what it is now. I don't watch it now, but so much different from what I last watched pro wrestling. Sure. But those are my first memories of watching it. I don't remember which came first. I don't remember if it was WWF or... Or the uh, the Saturday night stuff, but Dusty Rhodes. I remember watching the Big Dust and uh, and the Road Warriors, Magnum TA. Uh, there was a guy named Mad Dog Buzz Sawyer who was just this crazy, stocky little guy. He was a pretty tough guy. And he actually trained. Uh, there's one of these shoot stories. I heard this. Uh, he ripped off. The Undertaker. The Undertaker was trying to break into wrestling, and this guy named Mad Dog Buzz Sawyer, who's now deceased, like so many other pro wrestlers, he just took his money and never trained him. <laughs> he just ripped him off. This guy was just this wild maniac. He he played one on television. He legitimately was a wild maniac. <laughs> yeah. Do you remember a uh, a, a particular angle that uh, kind of hooked you at all? I mean, you know, they call. Uh, wrestling storylines, angles, that's sort of the lingo. But Well, you know, as a kid watching it, it, back then they sold it like it was real. Yeah. You know, it wasn't sports entertainment. They never called it sports entertainment. It was pro wrestling, and the wrestlers talked like they were the best athletes in the world. And I kind of believed it, but I kind of thought even at five or six years old or seven years old, whatever I was, that, you know, like, wait a minute, he just punched him in the head why didn't he punch him in the nose or the mouth or why didn't he just kick him in the, you know, why didn't he just, yeah, exactly. They are, they aren't fighting like I've seen in the movies. So why? So I kind of thought something was up, you know, Yeah. <laughs> but at the same time, it did suspend my belief. I mean, it, it, I believed occasionally. And, and one of the thing, one of the storylines I remember watching Tommy wildfire, rich was a huge star when I first started watching it and him and mad dog buzz Sawyer had a feud and they would have the, they would show matches from like the Omni, which isn't even there in Atlanta anymore, but they used to have a bunch of matches there and they would bleed everywhere. It would be a bloodbath. It was so gross and scary looking to me as a kid. And I was just convinced that Mad Dog Buzz Sawyer was trying to kill this guy, this you know, this baby face, this good guy with long bleach blonde hair. He wasn't muscular. He was just kind of a big guy, but not he didn't look like an athlete whatsoever. <laughs> and Mad Dog Buzz Sawyer he was short, stocky, was probably a power lifter and had done some wrestling in his day, like real high school wrestling at least, if not collegiate wrestling, maybe some football background. Tommy Rich, I don't know if that guy ever did anything athletic <laughs> besides work in pro wrestling, but that's one storyline I remember. Um, and then the other stuff, you know, uh, I mean, I watched when Hulk Hogan became a huge star, when he won his belt from the Iron Sheik. Uh, I believed it then, you know, like I thought, well, wow, he just won. That's exciting, you know, but then mm -hmm. I kind of like, 
I, it was almost like Hulk Hogan was just too much of a good guy for me. So I, I yeah. was more of a Roddy Piper fan. Yeah. Hogan was over, and the other, over another, the I'm sorry to interrupt, but yeah. another, another storyline that I kind of believe Roddy Piper smashed a coconut over Jimmy Snooka's head in this little skit they would do every week called Piper's Pit. I believed it. Like I was, I was just convinced this guy's nuts. He is so mean. He just bashed a coconut over this guy's head. And I like Jimmy Snuka. I was a huge Snuka fan. He was a cool, smooth, you know, just big muscular cat from the Fiji Islands. And he dove off the top of the steel cage. He was super athletic and just looked like a god, you know. Mm-hmm. But Roddy Piper was this just crazy guy. I just knew he was. He just hurt him, you know. He just he just smashed his head with a coconut. So I remember that's that kind of drew me in, you know, for sure. Yeah. Well, that was all before WrestleMania. Yeah. Yeah. Well, people might wonder, like, why in the world would you watch professional wrestling or whatever? But uh, to me, like, the appeal in it uh, is like the things you're talking about. It, it's it's like a morality play. If, if everybody's mm. doing their thing right, if the promoter knows what he's doing to to mm. draw a an emotional reaction out of an audience, whether they know it's real or, or, or not. I mean, or, you know, like most people, everybody pretty much these days knows it's not real and they didn't in those days, which helped as far as just getting invested in it. But even today, I think people could have get invested in something they know is not real. If it's a good story. Yeah, maybe. I, I don't know. See, that's my whole thing. That's my whole reasoning behind not watching it anymore. I can't get invested in it. I can't believe any of it. I can't. I can't. It's not like watching a movie anymore to me. Right. Um, you know, but when I was a kid, it was. And apparently it used to be even crazier because, you know, you listen to these old guys, these old timers and these shoot interviews, the ones that are still living. They would get stabbed on the way to the ring. They would get sliced as they walked down the aisle. Uh, there were riots many times in arenas after big matches with the heels. The crowd would turn on them and try to kill them because they believed that they were trying to break Bruno San Martino's head. They believed that <laughs> right. you know, they were trying to hurt their hero and or Dusty Rhodes or, or whoever their hero was at the time. They believed a hundred percent what was happening in front of them. And that you're right. The promoters who wrote out what to do, the wrestlers who performed what to do and sold it to get people in there in their interviews, there was an art to it. And, and it was a soap opera for guys. Yeah, definitely. And you know, there was some athleticism involved. So that's, that's what drew me in as a kid. You know, right. Uh, I, I just, I don't watch it now because I just, I don't know. I'm not interested, but, uh, I respect those guys. I definitely think they work and they, they are athletes, man. They, they take a beat and they get pummeled. And there's, there's a reason why, you know, dozens and dozens of them are dead now that weren't, they died very young, uh, and they get hurt and they work hurt. They get hooked on pills. A lot of people just assume, oh, they died of steroids. No, they didn't. They they died from beating themselves up and trying to keep their spot in the company because it's such a competitive, crazy business. So they work hurt. They get hooked on pain meds just to get through the day, and that kills them eventually because they some of them mix the pain meds with 
booze or they just take too many pain meds and it's just too hard on their bodies. Eventually they can't do it anymore and they die. And uh, it's sad, really. It's such a brutal business. Uh, I think it, it seems to have gotten better, though. I don't watch it anymore, but as far as that end goes, and I could be wrong, it no, seems like they've is, set up. The, yeah, they have a, the wellness policy now that they, they check the guys. Uh, and they're, I, you know, I'm not there. I don't know exactly what's going on, but um, right. they seem to be careful with their performers more like if if they've got a concussion or anything like that they they really do make them sit out for you know a couple of weeks or so or something like that used to it wasn't like that though like if you had a concussion you just kept going yeah i think i think too that comes along with just now there are people really concussions Doctors are just now kind of figuring out what that even is, and that we we still don't know exactly what it does and the effects of it. Um, I mean, they know the effects of it, but they don't know exactly. You know, let's say you get knocked out as a kid when you're playing football in high school, you get a concussion. Does that affect you for the rest of your life or not? That's the these are the questions that I don't think doctors have answers to yet, and the scientists that study brains. Uh, on the injuries and things like that. So, you know, I, I think for sure, though, people know more about head injuries and concussions and they try to protect themselves a little more. And uh, it seems like they're not bashing each other in the back of the head with chairs as much as they used to. And no, that's, uh, they, they've done away with that too. Yeah. And that's exactly why, because they right. were just literally bashing each other's brains in. Uh, it was hard to watch some of that stuff, you know. Um, I remember once. I think it was in a documentary, um, beyond the mat with, uh, had a bunch of wrestlers. It's a great documentary that Ron yeah. Howard and, and his partner produced. And, uh, and there's a scene in there where the rock is working with Mick Foley and Mick Foley is handcuffed and he's just letting the rock bash him in the head with a chair and he hits him over and over. And it's hard to watch cause you know, they're not faking that you can't, they're, he's drilling him in the head with a chair, with a metal chair. And, you know, who, who knows how many concussions that guy's had? Who who knows what the brain damage that Mick Foley might have? You know, it's 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 hard to say. Yeah. It's, uh, he's done some brutal things through the years. Oh, yeah, a lot of those guys, you know, especially him. I mean, he's the, yeah. he's the poster boy for, you know, just destroying wreaking havoc on your body. Um I saw him and I met him in Johnson City, Tennessee, of all places. I went and I, I was, we played a show to the down home, and I always stay at this Holiday Inn Express in Johnson City, Tennessee, at the same exit because I'm just familiar with it. It's clean and I like it. So I go there one night after the show and I get in the lobby and there's just this room. I think I even text you after that you night. You did, yeah. There's a room full of monsters, these just giant guys who are all, you know, my height and taller. Uh, big pro wrestlers. And I guess the TNA show was in town, which TNA is, uh, I don't know if they're still around or not, but they were on television for a while and they were competition sort of for Vince McMahon's company. And, uh, they were in town and he was working with them at the time. And I got downstairs the next morning to get some breakfast and he was in there trying to book his flight or route out his way out of there. And I knew he was busy and he looked really tired. So I just kind of stuck my head in the door and said, man, I've watched you work for years. 
appreciate what you do. You've been great entertainer. Thank you. And he said, thanks, man. He was real cool about it. So, um, you know, I, yeah. I saw him on an airplane uh, coming out of Baltimore one night and he flew, I think it was back here to Nashville. Uh, I was coming back anyway, and I guess he was coming down here, but I didn't, I didn't even get a chance to say hello to him or anything. Like it kind of bummed me out after, after it was all over because I was thinking, Oh man, I should try to just at least say hello or something. But I, uh, I didn't get a chance to. I've seen a few wrestlers in airports uh, yeah. traveling. You know, I, I saw uh, the honky tonk man, uh, I believe in Phoenix where he lives in Phoenix, I think he, or he's in Arizona or was, yeah. uh, and I saw him out there in an airport. He was struggling to walk around. I tell you that he was limping pretty bad, uh, alone, kind of sad, you know, mm-hmm. I immediately just thought of the movie of the wrestler. Yeah. Uh, I saw, uh, hacksaw Jim Duggan in Atlanta. My wife and I were coming back from our honeymoon and I couldn't get over the size of his hands. And my wife and I, she, she, I think she mentioned it first. She goes, look how big his hands are. <laughs> I told her, I was like, he, he's a pro wrestler that I watched when I was a kid. Uh-huh. Uh, but he was, I didn't get, I didn't speak to him cause he was on the phone the whole time. And I didn't want to walk up and be that annoying, you know, fanboy. And right. this guy's trying to talk to his family while he's on the road. Same as me. And so, yeah, I've seen a few on the road. I saw that the woman that runs the company, um, what is her name that runs the TNA? Dixie? Dixie Carter. I saw her uh, yeah. in Nashville. There's a tattoo shop down by their offices in Nashville. Mm-hmm. Uh, and they there's some world-class tattoo artists in there, which is something else I'm into. But I went in there just to, to look around, and I was going to see if they had any merch at their store, at their shop. I was in town for business and didn't didn't have a time to get a tattoo or anything like that but i did want a t-shirt but as i'm walking in i see this gal walking out and she's dressed to the nines and she's very friendly and speaks to me and i said how you doing and she was like you know she she said that to me and i was like oh hey and i thought why do i know who why do i know this woman and i uh i figured out she came out of their office and i I later not long after that saw her on television yeah um flipping through the channels one night but yeah she was friendly yeah, all right. Let's um, pivot back to music for a minute. So, you just played uh, up in Michigan with with Junior. How was that uh, playing with with Junior? Man, you know it was good. I mean, it's kind of like falling off a bicycle. I hadn't sung at a festival with Junior in years. Yeah, and uh, I hadn't really sung much with him at all. Uh, I, I played a show in Lexington, Kentucky, a solo gig, and he came out. And we sang one or two. Uh, that's been about three years ago, I guess, two or three years ago. And then, uh, you know, Rob was scheduled to go up with me and his job situation changed. So I scrambled. Junior came. We played a couple of sets together. But I tell you, man, Junior is a great singer. He really is. He's he's uh, he's so good at harmony, you know, and that's something that's not easily done. You know, you got people that right. can sing tenor, but as far as getting a blend, he's really good at it. And we didn't rehearse much at all. I had sent him the material that we were going to do mm-hmm. ahead of time and he kind of worked on it, but I don't think he spent much time. I mean, <laughs> <laughs> I'm just going to say, but it didn't matter. He, he sang it like he had sung it over and over again. And, uh, so it was fun. You know, it was fun to hang with him and hear all of his crazy stories and just catch up with him. You know, we, uh, we spent a lot of time on the road together. We had a business together. We were business partners for years and, 
Uh, he and Katie just made a new record. The, uh, their band Newtown um, just made a new record and uh, sounded great. Barry Bales actually produced that for him, I think. And uh, you know, he's a good singer, man, and good player, good musician. General, you just all around good musician. He gets music, you know. And his singing background comes from church and gospel and uh, quartet and trio style singing. So he just—he's really good at it, man. It's—it's it's something that. Uh, not everybody can do well, and he can. Yeah, you guys have a, a great blend. Your two voices match each Thank other great. You. Thank you. And, uh, yeah, I'd like to have Junior on this show and talk with him a while. And, uh, yeah. And Barry, too. I think I've been trying to schedule with Barry. We, uh, we're we just trying to get our, our times worked out to where we can do it. And you said he's going to be on your show next week? Uh, yeah. Um, we're going to record Monday, so I'll probably put it up Monday night sometime late. Tuesday, something, something like that. Yeah. Yeah. So people can be looking for that. Yeah. Barry's a busy guy. You talk about me being busy. He's another one. He's uh he's running a farm and, and he's got the Earls of Lester and, uh, producing artists and, you know, he fills in with a lot of acts all the time. And, uh, he's sought after session player because he's, I don't know if you know this or not, but he's a pretty good bass player. <laughs> I, I've heard, <laughs> I've heard that said before. Yeah, you guys just played together, didn't you? you we did, out. we did. Where was that, Huck Finn? Huck Finn, yeah, that was uh, last Saturday. Not this past Saturday, but the one before. Yeah. And that was I, that was a whole lot of fun, getting back with those guys and uh, getting to, to play and sing again. I'll bet. Yeah. So, uh, what, what do you got coming up in the next, uh, musically, in the next uh, couple months? Actually, a lot. My July is fairly busy, you know, as busy as I want to be. I, I don't want to, you know, one goal that I don't have, I'm not really interested in playing, you know, 200 days a year. Um, but, you know, if I can if I can be gone a couple of days a week or uh, three, or four, three or four days a month playing, I'll be happy with that. Um I've got several shows. The, the The closest one coming up is July 10th. I believe uh, I believe I'm up at the Ark in Ann Arbor, Michigan, and uh, I love that room. I don't know if you've played that or not, but it's a real fun room. And Ann Arbor is a cool little town. Uh, I'll be up there July the 10th, and then I've got some shows uh, beyond that. I'm in Steelville, Missouri. After that, and uh, over in Springfield, Illinois. After that. So that's all in July. People can go to my website at uh, timsheldonmusic.net and check out where I'm going to be. But the next show is July 10th in Ann Arbor at the Ark. And are, then, are, I'm, go ahead. I was going to say, are those shows going to be uh, solo, or, or are you going to have somebody with you on those days? Uh, actually, Clay Hess is going to play. We're going to play the first show together at the Ark. Oh, okay. Um, all right. Yeah. And then... Uh, I'll have somebody with me at the other gigs, most likely, but they could be solo. I don't yeah, know yet. yeah. Oh, that's cool. Yeah, I've done several of those, and it's fun. It's challenging. It's different. It feels weird at first, you know, because you're standing up there used to a band being around you. But on the other hand, there's a part of it that's exciting, and and you're very free, you know. Yeah. Uh, because I don't know. It's just I don't even know how to articulate what I'm thinking. Well, but you it, don't have anybody else to consider. You're just, you know, mm -hmm. you're delivering everything from yourself and not having to think about what well, is this other guy, you know. 
What's he going to do? Yeah, yeah. 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 There's that part of it. And then the logistics part of it, it's just you. It's easy. You know, yeah. you don't you don't have to say, okay, can you meet me here? And, and we're going to do this and we're going to stay here. And we're going to, you know, the more, the bigger the band, the more of that you have. And that's, that's a lot of work. Uh, and I did that for a long time and I don't really want to do it again, <laughs> to be honest. Yeah. So if I can keep it small, simple, I think it'll be fun that way, you know, for me for a while. I never say never. I mean, never, but I don't see myself. I definitely won't start a band again. I can tell you that right now. I'm not yeah. interested in that. Um, that's a lot of work and, um, you know, it just, I'm not interested in it, but I, I do want to, you know, I think this side project with clay will be fun and who knows how busy it'll get, but, uh, you know, it, it, it'll be fun if nothing else. And, uh, I just want to, to be able to play some music and, and do the podcast and, and yeah, be happy. Okay. Well, I'm going to ask you a question you, you asked me on the, when I was on your show. Yeah. You asked me, you know, who I would like to, uh, to be able to play with. And, uh, is there somebody that you can think of or some people that you, you would like to collaborate with? Oh, geez. Um, like dream collaboration or yeah. real realistic collaboration. Let's, let's answer both. <laughs> okay. Like I have a bunch dream collaboration. Jeez. Um, man, how f I would love to make music somehow, whether it's just singing harmony, singing tenor, uh, with James Taylor or Jackson Brown. Yeah. Um, that'd be a biggie. Uh, I'd love to sing with Leanne Womack sometime. Mm -hmm. I'd love to, I'd love to have Ricky Skaggs sing tenor with me one time in my <laughs> life. <Yeah. laughs> you know, Ricky, he's somebody that I cut my teeth on. I've met Ricky through you and, and before that, uh, I, I don't know, half a dozen times, uh, over the years. And, you know, he's just a big He's one of the bigger influences on me musically, uh, as far as bluegrass goes, sure. for sure. You know the 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 Crow record and the Skaggs and Rice stuff. I mean, everybody our age pretty much cut their teeth on that music. You know, yeah, and, absolutely. And uh, so he's a gigantic influence on me. And and the guy is just so good. He could sing anything. He could sing with Jack White. He can sing with James Taylor. He can sing with Paul Brewster. He can sing with anyone. Ralph. Anyone he wants to sing, and he's got, he just, he's such a good musician. He makes it all work. Yeah. You know, it doesn't matter who he's singing harmony with, whether it's Emmylou or whatever, you know. And I mean, that Roses in the Snow record, that was another one that his work on that record with Emmylou is just freaking great, you know. <laughs> yeah. Um, and his time with her is really good. It's just phenomenal music. Um, those are some, those are a few, uh, well, can anybody name a better tenor singer? Really? No, <laughs> yeah. no, you can't. I mean, honestly, there's, he's, I don't believe, I mean, there's some great tenor singers in bluegrass, Definitely. a bunch, yeah. a bunch, but as far as a pure bluegrass voice that was just cut perfectly right, his vocal cords are absolutely perfectly shaped for bluegrass music, uh, I don't think there's a guy that's a better singer in bluegrass than that man. Yeah. He's also somebody I'd like to get on this show at some point. And you should. You work yeah. for him. Yeah. <laughs> you yeah. got connections. Well, we'll, we'll see. <laughs> no, I, th those are a few. I mean, you know, I'm a, I'm a huge James Taylor fan. 
I mean, Jackson Brown, James Taylor. Um, yeah, those are a few. I mean, that, that's a good question, and I I didn't expect it. And uh, you know, it, it, those are a few. I tell you, a guy that another guy that I think is just one of my favorite tenor singers, and I've got to actually, I've sang with him on stage I think once, but I'd like to work with him again is uh, Sean Lane. Yeah, he's uh, one of the one of my favorites too. Oh man, he he sang on my record that the the Jackson collection of Jackson Brown songs that I did. He's on a bunch of those tunes and uh we didn't get to do them in the studio together. He just he would, he recorded them at his place and sent them up to me, you know. And, yeah. You know, you, you don't I mean, I know what kind of singer he is, but I didn't know what he was going to do. I wasn't there to hear it. I wasn't there to produce it. Not that he needs producing, you know what I mean? So All Right. I didn't give him any direction. I just said, sing it the way you want to do it, man. Cause what else can you do? You know, you can't tell Sean Lane how to sing. <laughs> so he sent him to me and I just, I mean, I'm a tough audience and it, I was just blown away. Mm. I was just blown away what he did. It was, I couldn't have asked for anything different. You know, uh, yeah. it was exactly what I wanted. And then some, Mm-hmm. Another guy is Vince Gill. I would love to sing with Vince. Absolutely. Yeah. I, th- I think those aren't unrealistic at all. Um, and of course, you mentioned Lynn Womack. She has ties in the, the bluegrass community as well. Oh, yeah, for sure. Yeah. And uh, yeah, we'll see. We'll see what happens. I mean, those are just, you know, Dan is another one. I'd love, I'd love to sing some music with Dan. I'd love to play some music with Dan. Yeah. yeah. Um, I love Dan's tenor. I love his. Love his harmony. Yeah. Um, it was the other day. It was really fun to, they, they played uh, nowhere to hide and, mm-hmm. and Dan, Dan always sings the tenor on that. Uh, most of the time, like, you know, in the Dan band, I'm singing tenor to him, but on that one, I'm just in there listening and <laughs> it's really, really fun to just to hear the three of them sing together again. Adam, oh, yeah. Barry and, uh, Dan. Yeah. For sure, a hundred percent. That record to me—that's a real—that's that was another that was another turning point for me. You know, that first record that I really that caught my ear for Allison was uh, "Every Time You Say Goodbye," and then uh, "So Long, So Wrong" was another turning point for me because I was playing. No, I wasn't playing music professionally yet. I don't think. I think it just came out about the time Newfound Road was put together. Uh, I can't remember the year that that record came out, but oh, uh, so long, so wrong was like '98 or something. So yeah, that was okay. Then that came out. Yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. It came out before Newfound Road. We we started like after that. Wasn't 2001 or two? Um, but that record was a turning point for me because I'd never heard anything like it. I'd never. I'd never heard anything like it. I mean, the production value, they're playing, the song selection, it just, it kicked my ass, and I loved it. It was just, it was exactly, I mean, if I could dream up a bluegrass record, you know, that hadn't been (laughs) done already, that would be it. Yeah. Yeah, it was phenomenal. It is. It's it's so good, and I, I go back and listen occasionally now. You know, I don't listen to a lot of music these days, and if I do, it's it's generally not something that was recorded before 1980. <laughs> yeah. I mean, after 1980. Um, 
but it's uh it's just so good it's so good and and that song is is certainly one of them that just killed me the first time i heard it and the whole record i mean it's just phenomenal like i felt i feel like that record they were you know the band that it is now came into its own and of course adam was on that record um you know, you put Adam, Stephanie, Barry Bales together, and man, that's uh, that's some timing right there. Oh yeah, that's uh, <laughs> and Dan, and of course, and then Stafford. You know, and the the every time you say goodbye album, just a monster rhythm section, just amazing, perfect. Is there a, a young band or young act that's coming up that? Uh, that has caught your ear? Uh, young. I can't say, I can't say not in bluegrass because in, yeah. the only reason why I say that is because I just don't, I've been out of it so long. I haven't paid attention to it and I right. haven't been at festivals enough to hear it. But I tell you, there's some great musicians out there that cat that plays, uh, uh, the Snyder kid, the guitarist is a Zed, monster. Yeah. yeah. He's a monster. Um, that guy caught my ear. Yeah. <laughs> um, hey, you know what? Uh, there's so many great players out there. His you sister, know? Samantha, is a great fiddle player, too. Oh, yeah, she is. Yeah. Uh, we the One of the last shows that Newfound Road played, I think it was in South Georgia, I want to say. And I don't remember if we were with Diffie or not that time, because we played that same festival and with Diffie, and then we played it, I think, after Diffie. Mm-hmm. But that was the first time I heard him live, and it was I was impressed. Um you know, and then you know, not. I mean, I think I think Sierra's a world class musician, but she's not new. She's been around a long time. <laughs> yeah, that's the thing. Like she's been, she's young, so sort of, but uh, been around for a long time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So I mean, uh, you know, there's a lot of great players out there. You know, I mean, there there just are. Um, I don't know how much he's playing anymore, but I, I think. Um, oh, I'm drawing a blank. I don't even want to say it. Okay. Uh, you know, I'm just the Ward boys. You know, I think those oh, guys, yeah, yeah are Christian, the best players. yeah, Christian and Austin, Austin both uh-huh. are just monster musicians. You know, I don't know how much either one of them are playing anymore. I know Austin's had a child and maybe has another one on the way, if I'm not mistaken. Maybe I think so. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I don't know what Christian's up to these days, but man, Christian was just a beast. Yeah, uh, I think he got married as well. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I think I saw that on the on the old Facebook, I believe. But yeah, there's there's a bunch of great players out there. It's just I've I've been out of the mix, man. I haven't been this past week was the first time I've been to a festival this year, a bluegrass festival. And then the last time I was at a festival was at Poppy Mountain and there weren't any new bands there that time when we were there. So I you know, I guess I've been out of it so long I haven't haven't heard. I hear a lot about Flat Lonesome these days. Um uh-huh. So I mean, obviously they're they're making some waves. Um, I t- we talked about them on on my last podcast with I had Paul Brewster on and uh, he mentioned uh, he mentioned them and mentioned Charlie as being one of his favorite young singers. And yeah, we, we were just talking about how they they do focus on singing, whereas a lot of young musicians maybe don't focus on the singing as much as they do play. And you know, there's a lot of great musicians, and that's not to say that there's not any great young singers as well but just seems like a lot of them don't don't focus as much on no that. and i don't think it's anything new i think uh i think a lot of bluegrass bands kind of overlook it and i don't know why that is 
You know, I, yeah. I, don't, I don't know. And maybe they don't overlook it. Maybe they just, they don't hit the mark or whatever that puts them out, you know, like a few years back, many years back. Uh, you take a band like the Isaacs. I mean, they were great, talented players, but their singing put them on the map. You know, yeah. these freakish harmonies that just blend like no other blend. Um, for me, that's what catches my ear. You know, it's it, I, I love good, great playing and great picking, but what catches my ear is somebody that can just sing. You know, and. Uh, so yeah, it's kind of a I don't know, it's not rare. There's plenty of great bluegrass singers, but I mean it it seems like the the priority is picking first, you know. Yeah. Well, how about uh how about outside of bluegrass? Is there a a new kind of uh, act that's caught your fancy? Yeah, I mean, he's not new, but his music is fairly new and the world thinks he's new. Chris Stapleton is somebody I'm a big fan of and there's a guy um uh, there's a guy named Amos Lee. I listen to a lot of his music and have for years. He's not new, but uh, he's new to a lot of people. Uh, yeah. It's just recently kind of hit that plateau of selling, you know, two or 3,000 seats a night. Um, there's a band that I heard the first what the first time I heard him was on Joe Rogan's podcast. He happened to hear them somewhere. I don't know where or how, but he has them on a show occasionally. This band called the Honey Honey Band. Mm-hmm. And I know the girl's from Columbus or uh, Cleveland, and I don't know where the guy's from, but they're really good. It's it's more of a, an Americana slash folk sound, uh, duet style singing, and she's got this real raspy, cool voice. I love that. Um, I dig Sturgill Simpson's music. I appreciate Chris or uh, Jason Isbell's music. Mm-hmm. Um, Casey Musgrave's another one. I saw her live earlier this year and was really impressed uh, with her band and her singing. Uh, not too bad to look at either. Um, <laughs> <laughs> my wife's not in here, but she'll yeah. probably hear this. But she agreed. I mean, you know, there's like no. Right, right. She looks like a movie star. <laughs> she like it's unreal. Like I, I told my wife after we left, I said, "There's not one blemish on her anywhere. <laughs> like she, she wasn't, she wasn't wearing much, and and there's, you know, there's just like there's not a zit. There's not a blemish on her shoulder. There's not like anything weird going on. It's just yeah. like all." She's put together well. Um, she's really good, though. Her band is great. Uh, real laid-back vibe. I dig it. Um, I don't know. That's about it. Like, off the top of my head, I'll probably think of about 10 people after we get off the, oh, sure. the phone. But I'll say uh, this. Like, uh, you know, they're not new whatsoever, really. They've been around for over 10 years now. But um, I just got to hear them at Telluride. I was, that's where I was this past weekend. And... Uh, the last night we were there, the last show there that I know of was a late night show with the Punch Brothers. Yeah. And oh yeah. Oh my goodness, was that like an amazing, amazing show? They came out, and Chris said um, that earlier at a workshop, the audience somehow had inspired him. And I don't even remember what was said, but he, they did the "How to Grow a Woman from the Ground" album from top to bottom. Straight, oh wow! Straight through, they just played it straight through. Wow! And it was uh, it was awesome hearing them go back and 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 do that stuff again. The first set, and they took a break, came back and played a bunch of stuff, and had a bunch of guests out. Brought Sierra out and played Big Mon with her, and had uh, Andy Hall came out and played Dobro on some stuff. It was just a 
really fun show. I can imagine. Um, you know, Chris. Chris is somebody I pay attention to. I mean, he's just uh, he's a world class musician, and he's in a league of his own. You know, like yeah. there's not another. He may be the best planet picker on the planet. You know, you said that on the last time you were on the show. I think yeah, uh -huh. time before that, and it's true. He's a modern day Mozart. Let me say this too. Yeah. So at the end of the show, after the they closed out with like uh, I want to say something in B like a bluegrassy song and then fired into uh train 45. Yeah. And they might've played rye whiskey after that. I'm not sure. Yeah. But, um, after the encore and everything, Chris himself came out into the audience with no mm -hmm. microphones, no nothing, just him and his mandolin and played like three songs. Well, he had Chris Eldridge critter come out and play guitar with him and the two of them, played wow. right in the center of the room and everybody was gathered around him. And it was just this amazing thing where it's like everybody in there was just, uh, so mesmerized by, you know, first of all, like somebody having the willingness to come out in the middle of the audience and do oh, that. Yeah. And, uh, and just how great it is too. Well, you know, I never saw this up close, but I'm pretty sure he used to do something like that after Nickel Creek shows. He would go outside with fans waiting, you know, for yeah. autographs or whatever yeah. and just jam for them. Yeah. Outside the bus. Yeah. You know, his musicality is, is uh, something that is so inspiring. I mean, it's like it exudes from him all the time. Yeah, he, he really is. You know, he's a... I mean, people, I think people throw this around too often, the word musical genius, but he is that. Yeah. I think it's overused, yeah, but not, not with him. Right. Right. You know, he's, he, he's, he's just a freaking nature. Tell the people where they can uh, hear your podcast and, and where they can get some of your music. Yeah, they can just Google it. They can go on iTunes and search the Tim Shelton show. Uh, that's where they can get it. Uh, same thing with music. Just just uh, search, you know, search Tim Shelton. It'll either send you to my website or YouTube or wherever, and iTunes as well. And uh, they can download my latest record. Is a I mentioned Jackson Brown a little while ago. Um, I did a collection of Jackson Brown tunes. It's not a bluegrass record, but there's bluegrass musicians on it. Uh, Sean Lane, I mentioned him. He's he's on it with me, and uh, uh, Sonia Isaacs singing on a song or two, and uh, Josh Schilling's playing keyboard and B3 and singing harmony all over it. Um, and some world-class musicians um, are all over that record, and and I'm proud of it. It's 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 just a you know, it's just a bunch of Jackson Brown tunes. It's nothing new, but it was sure fun to work with these players and, and hear those songs with, you know, people like Sean Lane and Sonia and Josh Schilling singing harmony on it. Absolutely. Well, man, I really appreciate you agreeing to come back on and uh, we will do it again sometime. Anytime. It's always fun. And we'll have you back on uh, my podcast anytime anytime you want to and maybe you and sierra can come on and uh, uh i need to get down there down your way and we'll just do something live we'll do uh we'll do a show live maybe play some tunes live or something oh that would be awesome yeah we, we need should, to do that we should we'll totally do that absolutely and we may come up your way sometime as well and uh and catch a reds game or something and uh you know maybe we can tie something in with that too 
yes, we uh, we should do that very soon. All right, man. Thanks a lot. Thanks, Justin. Well, that about wraps up another episode of the Cosmos' podcast. I appreciate you listening, and I invite you to, to keep tuning in. And uh, like I say, go, uh, go thank Lowe's Vintage Instrument Company for sponsoring the podcast. And uh, we'll be back in a couple of weeks with a new show. Continue to send in your, your ideas to justin at justinmoses.com. Let me know what you're thinking about the show and let me know who you'd like to hear on the show. I always like to hear from the listeners. Let me know uh, where you're listening from and everything. So I really appreciate it and hope you'll tune in. Thanks a lot. <laughs>